everyone. My name is Maria Hidonas. Welcome to the Future Women Podcast. Today, I have the sincere pleasure of speaking to Susie Yoder. You might know her work through acts like Zach Brown Band, Ariana Grande, of Monsters and Men, and many, many, many more. And she's currently the head of digital marketing at Electro Music Group. I volunteer at an organization called Women in Music to elevate and to create an equal playing field for women in music, such like Susie and such like myself. I'm so excited to be talking to you, Susie. I'm so excited to talk to you. Where are you coming at us in the world right now? I am based out of Nashville now. I was in New York for the past decade, and then COVID times happened. I've always traveled to Nashville, obviously, Nashville and LA being our three main hubs of the music industry. And I just was craving the space for my mental health of continuing to work as our industry stayed busier than ever besides touring, which is great for us, but not great when you are used to being out all the time and live in a shoebox. So I made that move in October and it's been great. I love Nashville. Uh, That's amazing to hear. Have you had any like great local food or anything like that yet? I have actually my favorite restaurant I got to go to a couple times in October when I first got here and then they closed again for COVID (laughs) and they have not reopened. So I'm waiting on it, but it's called Rolf and Daughters. I'm sure it will reopen. Highly recommend. Well, super elated to be speaking with you. I've been a big fan of your work. So, you know, I'm going to gas you up throughout this entire interview. I love this. Yes. (laughs) You've had an incredible career. What has been your career journey and how did you get here? As I have squeezed a lot of things into the past 10, 11 years. I was a college radio DJ. I went to Franklin and Marshall College, a little liberal arts school in Pennsylvania. I was majoring in in music, actually. So I am a true music nerd. I was studying music theory. I actually thought that maybe I would go on to be an entertainment lawyer. I was thinking it would be really fun to work on intellectual property law, proving how certain songs sound too much like other songs and those types of battles. And then I learned that The lawyers don't actually do that. They hire musicologists (laughs) to do that part. Then my presidents of the radio station, they went to South by Southwest. I barely even knew what it was at the time. This was probably 2007, 2008. And they went down there, met a whole bunch of people, got a bunch of business cards. They came back, they said, Susie, South by Southwest is so cool and you would have loved it and you have to go. Here's all these contacts of these people we met. We should all try to work in this industry after we graduate. So I sent a bunch of emails, just cold emails to these people they had met. I got an internship at an indie PR firm in downtown Manhattan called Tell All Your Friends PR. Yes, yes. Yes. So they worked with really cool kind of niche, tiny little indie labels, but like very cool bands. And I spent the summer of 2010 doing that internship and then moved back to New York the following year when I graduated. They helped me get a job, my first job, at a little indie label in Brooklyn called The End Records, which released mostly heavy metal. (laughs) So I learned how a label works there because they did everything out of their little warehouse in, in Brooklyn big warehouse, actually, they they fulfilled all their own merch orders and all of the scheduling at DSPs and 
all the marketing, all handled by like 12 people at this label. So I kind of got a crash course in that. I got really interested in just the pure digital side of things and how artists talk to fans. And I went over to Sneak Attack Media to do social media management for artists. And that's where I was working on an artist that was signed to Republic, Sneak Attack. Republic had hired Sneak Attack to help. And I was put on that project and Republic ended up snagging me from there. I was the community manager there. So I ran Republic's own Instagram, Twitter, et cetera, for about a year. Then I moved up there. You mentioned Ariana Grande, like that was the first album she released. And then her first Christmas EP. I remember doing like the email marketing for that. And it's just some very early, early digital initiatives for her. And I stayed there through 2016, I decided to go back the sneak attack route. I wanted to work one-on-one with artists, not necessarily on the label side anymore. And I worked for a Nashville-based company called Gorilla Marketing, Girlilla, primarily women working there. Very cool. They still exist. Highly recommend them for any social digital marketing help for artists. They're a great company. And I was based in New York still, but working for this Nashville-based company. And that's kind of how I started traveling to Nashville a lot. I was on the Zach Brown Band account at Gorilla. Zach Brown Band signed back on to Electra Records for an album called Welcome Home. And that's when Electra reached out to me and said, you're in New York and you're working on Zach Brown Band. And we actually need a digital person in New York. I had to really think about that job offer because an Electra is amazing. I'm so glad that I did it. But at the time I was like, I don't know that I want to be on the label side again, because I had done it and wasn't sure that it was for me. But I joined on with Electra in, in 2017. And I've obviously stayed and it's been four years and I'm so happy. It was the best decision. First off, let's just have a silent hand for just this incredible journey so far. And it sounds like early in your career, you were really trying to follow places you can learn, absorb what was going on. And as you progressed, you were able to discern, do I want this? What has been your guiding light throughout the process of getting here where you are now? The music. It would be an option for me at this point to take everything I've learned about digital marketing and advertising and social media and and all these things and work at some big brand or an agency that does big brands with that probably some major change in salary, you know, but I just, (laughs) it's not interesting to me. Electra, when they reached out, I looked at their roster. I cared about that more than a lot of other things. I was like, am I going to enjoy working on this music? Because Mm. I'm such a music fan. I was a college radio DJ because I just loved music. And I was always scouring blogs for new stuff at the time. There was no Spotify related artists. You couldn't really click through. I I used to scrabble everything I listened to on my iTunes to (laughs) (laughs) Last.fm. Throwback. Triggered. (laughs) Yeah. Are you triggered? I mean, like for real, I, sorry, Gen Z doesn't know what I just said, but I looked at Electra's roster and I I was like, wow, and this is no shade to any other label. And Electra has obviously grown a lot and has all types of different artists now a bit more than they did when I signed on. But what I noticed immediately is that every artist on the label was a songwriter and it was a small roster and it felt very much like this is a carefully handpicked selection of artists that deeply care about the music 
more than their images or even necessarily the stuff that I was working on, like social media. There's some artists that thrive on it. A lot of the Electra artists were not those artists, but that was an interesting challenge for me too, to be like, well, how do I work with this singer songwriter who just wants to write music and isn't very interested in going live on Instagram? Just caring about the music and wanting the artist that I've worked with to win Mm. has kind of been that guiding light. I love that. It's funny that you bring up a lot of those OG music discovery tools, 8-Tracks, Turntable FM, MySpace, amongst other things. We kind of live in a whole new territory from that time. And you're in as a digital marketer, even just as a consumer and a fan of music, how do you feel about where we're at now? This globalization of music, different streaming apps in regards to like how we market artists today. In terms of the globalization of things, it's better now than, of course, it's ever been. And I think it's a very positive thing. It's Mm. awesome that it's so much easier now to discover. Granted, people more hipster than me would disagree. But (laughs) the fact that you can go Shazam acquired by Apple, but still Shazam is a free app. You can go on Spotify, other DSPs that have charts that have free tiers. You can go on Spotify and look at the viral charts from every single country. Mm -hmm. And that's so fun. I mean, I've spent many hours just poking around Sweden, the ruler of pop music, which I love. So it's like, who's popping off in Sweden this week? Should I be listening to them? It's like two clicks away. The only detriment I guess there is that it can be overwhelming because it is so easy that I think what happens to some people is there's just too many new artists and there's too many different lanes you can click from related artists to the next related artist to the next related artist on Spotify and just end up in a a hole where you're like, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. And then you end up listening to 90s hits because you're like, let me just <laughs> go back to something that I know. Like a palate cleanser of sorts. <laughs> yeah. But I, I mean, I love the way that these technologies have made it so easy for us. We see it now with, with K-pop. That's been around, but it wasn't until the internet made it so accessible that artists can work with each other through like amazing, obviously the way we're doing this podcast. And and this isn't new in the last couple of years. This is just like high speed internet. It's been around for a minute. I think it's a great thing. And I think it's so exciting to know that the current, you know, any, I mean, Gen Z pretty much grew up like that, but that kids being born today will be able to listen to music in a couple clicks from all around the world and figure out what they actually really like instead of just being fed what's on the radio. I love it. Kind of a new democracy of music, getting all the options of sorts. Yeah, no boundaries. I love it. The globalization of music. It's interesting that we were kind of building up to that point, right? And then March hit. And I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like personally as a digital marketer, my job kind of accelerated before artists weren't as keen to do paid live streaming opportunities or even live stream Instagram or things like that. And then suddenly like, hey, you're the digital person. Can you tell me how to do this thing? Which is incredible. And I'm so grateful because you've been literally preparing for this moment my whole life. But <laughs> <laughs> but I'm curious, how's your job? How's your life changed since March of last year? Yeah, super similar. I mean, things that my team and I were recommending 
to artists. Not that it was something that they were just like, ugh, I don't want to do that. They were too busy doing other things. Yeah, I see that I can go live on Instagram now, but I don't want to. Or yeah, I see that this app TikTok is popular. I think it's for kids and I don't want to use it. Those attitudes shifted real quick. And I am similar to you, very grateful for that because it's been so fun to mm. watch everyone lean into the stuff that we wished that certain artists were doing because we knew they would be really good at it, but they were on the road or they were just having very busy lives and couldn't really work it into their schedules. And then March hit. It's weird to talk about positive things coming out of a horrific time. It was not a good year, but career-wise, I mean, you know, it was, it was, I hesitate to say fun because it's just been It's rough. like a glass half full, right? Versus right, yeah. Year, you know? yeah. Yeah. It's just been nice, I guess, in terms of straight up just digital marketing to, to be able to work on campaigns and, and projects with artists that they might not have agreed to at another time. And then to see not just that they were willing to do it, but to watch them enjoy doing it, to come off of a live stream or jump on Twitter and have a chat like they hadn't done in years and then end it and be like, that was really fun. I'm glad I did that. It has been nice to watch the artists and their teams recognize that you can still have such a connection and reach not only existing fans, but make new ones without leaving your house. Yeah, it's a lovely thing within our jobs to watch someone learn something and do very well in it and then agree that it was a good idea. I would take 10 of those versus any billboard chart any day, you know? Yeah, we've got some artists on the electro side that without COVID having happened, they never would have leaned in to TikTok specifically. And some of these accounts for some of our artists, especially across like Fueled by Ramen, Roadrunner, Slipknot just started a TikTok account. It's already huge. And would they have bothered to do that any other year? Like, I don't know, but it's amazing. Well, I'm going to follow that one right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering if you can give a bit of context as to what COVID did to specifically the music industry and how things have changed. Yeah, well, I don't want to leave anyone out because I have always been digital. So I've been very focused on that. And that hasn't changed much besides expanding. But obviously, the touring industry is what really hurt. And, and again, don't want to have any omissions here. But I think for anyone listening that is not in music, it is just so many more people than you think. Like, it's not mm. just the artists that were losing money and like their backup dancers and their bands and their front of house and their sound person and their touring manager. It's not just those people. Like it's also all these venues. That's part of the industry. Just as much as me or, or an artist, lighting's hex, tour bus drivers. I mean, there's just so many people that you maybe don't think about their jobs every day. And even if you're at a show, you might not be thinking about how much of a crew it takes to build and take apart some of these huge arena shows every night. All those people out of work. And obviously financially, besides those people not being able to work, to the artists, again, it's not just concert tickets that they were losing the money. It's massive amounts of 
merch sales, vinyl scans at those shows that counted as album sales that they weren't getting. And something else too is who wanted to release their album in March, 2020. I mean, no one. And April April or May, because we didn't know how long it was going to last. So what happened was too, with like just scheduling of things, especially bigger artists, artists that have a following that would go to shows. You want to announce your album with a tour, or if you don't announce the tour, you want to announce tour real quick and play all the new songs you just released on a tour soon after. What happened too was anything slated to be released in March, April, May, everyone kind of wanted to wait to get to the summer when they could tour thinking that they would be able to, and then they couldn't. So then it was kind of this traffic jam of Mm. albums because then everyone was like, well, I guess we should just put these out. But then all the albums that were already scheduled to come out in the summer were coming out too. So it got very congested with (laughs) new music music summer fall 2020 because all those things that got delayed earlier in the year came out along with everything else that was coming out even with streaming it was interesting with music streaming in the beginning of the pandemic we used to see spikes during rush hours people had their commute i always had my spotify on my on the subway to and from work and and that was a good 30 35 40 minutes either way so over an hour in a day of listening and i have the premium account so that's important streams that were counting towards something that i just stopped doing and a lot of people stopped doing so we weren't getting the same kind of weekly numbers on songs that we were just a couple weeks prior i think that has sort of evened out by now but i would need a streaming expert to tell me that but Yeah, just a lot of things when you really think about how people consumed music before and went to concerts and on a base level, you can be like, oh yeah, like shows stopped. That's too bad for the artist, but it went so much further than that. Definitely. Music industry is an interesting one. You don't sign up for the money. I can tell you that y'all. You sign up for the lifestyle. You sign up because you love music and you think about it and you want to see these artists win, as you were kind of saying earlier, Susie. What did after March look like for you personally on the mental health side? How were you finding fulfillment in a time where you, know, you couldn't go to concerts, you couldn't go to dinners with digital marketing folks, all that was stripped away a bit? Yeah, I was not doing well <laughs> in the beginning. We all figured out Zoom and Teams and those things like real quick. I actually, if anything, at least to my immediate team felt more connected because in the office, like I had my own office that had a door and in a lot of days I would just be grinding away at, at stuff in there and not really talk much to anyone in a really busy day besides on emails, of course, but all of us using Slack all day as soon as this started combined with jumping on zoom and teams to talk things through that like kept me sane and helped with the weirdness of all of a sudden not going to shows not going to dinners like you said the worst part for me that was really hard in the beginning that is something else that kind of calmed down after a beat was that it was just an overwhelming kind of barrage of more people than usual 
having questions for digital or having ideas. And I love that in theory, but it wasn't dealing with the fact that like a scary world thing was happening that we were all kind of like freaked out. Even if we weren't worried for us, is our parents going to be okay? You know, like there are a lot of things to, to think about. And then to have an extremely higher velocity of emails from different departments and being like, oh, I had an idea for a thing we could do on Instagram or a live stream or whatever. And, and it's like, you know, of course I love that. I love collaborating. And this has been a great year to get more connected with departments I wasn't necessarily talking to every day, but it was hard for, and not just me. I mean, the whole team felt that and, and not internally either. This was artists and managers and being like, hey, wait, how does this digital thing that you asked me to do three months ago, how does that work again? Cause like, we want to do that right now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was everybody kind of at once. And my advice to my team at that time was just do what you can and thank everyone for wanting to help. And let's figure out how we can acknowledge and, and hopefully execute all of the ideas that the artists want to do without us completely burning out immediately. And I think we worked it out pretty well. I mean, our touring department took on live streaming stuff pretty quickly, started helping out here and there with things like song kick and bands in town and, and the opportunities that exist on those platforms. Even when you're not touring, there were a lot of ways that we all sat and, and figured out how to even out that kind of instant workload increase at a time that was like scary and not really lending itself to throwing your whole brain into work. It was tough. By the summer, we really had it ironed out with those things, but it was a very hard couple of months. And I'm sure most digital marketing teams in any industry at any company probably felt that. Totally. I'm going to take a moment and just like gas you up a little bit though, because I think you're underselling yourself. I'm going to be honest because I think some of the stuff Electra was able to accomplish and not to mention a lot of our peers in digital marketing, you just slayed it. And I, I was talking to Leo a little bit about some of the work you were doing, but I was wondering amongst some of the pride that came out of this crazy darkness, was there any marketing initiatives you saw or stuff you did personally that you're really proud of that you're able to execute during this time? My favorite project... Obviously, I was directly involved in it. So, of course, I'm going to choose this one. But <laughs> I really loved what we were able to get done in summer 2020 with 21 Pilots. They had managed to record kind of a standalone single and get a video shot for the song Level of Concern, which obviously has some quarantine references in it, very of the moment. And we were talking about how can we make this something that is, of course, it's any song from any band with a, a big fan base is a gift for them to get new music, especially at a time that was hard for people to get together and record. But it was like, what else can we give them? How else can we engage them at, at this dark time? And I'm not sure that I ever have put together or like been part of putting together something so elaborate for, for one song. <laughs> <But it was. laughs> so and what we did, you know, of course, there's quite a few articles out there about the never-ending video for Level of Concern that we accomplished. We actually got the Guinness World Record for longest music video at the very end of it. So basically, I was like, you know who I would love to work with on something like this is I would love to work with that guy that made Elf Yourself 
for like, <laughs> I don't know if that's like Office Max or Staples. It's one of those. Um, and the reason that he came to mind is because we wanted something for this song that the fans could participate in and get something back. So the initial thought was, what if we build some kind of Elf Yourself style generator where you can upload a video of yourself? Maybe you're talking to camera and saying what your COVID time has been like, something to that effect. And then you get a video spat back out at you that shows the band kind of acknowledging your personal video. I contacted Jason Zada, who along with his partner, Jason Nickel, who owns a company and a technology called Imposium put together just the most wildly fun and crazy campaign that it started off actually before we even got to the point of the video stuff. It started off, we decided to combine a bunch of ideas that were floating around and actually built a full ARG. Wow. Um, ARG is an alternate reality game that basically uses the things in the real world as a platform for the game player to solve clues and, and codes and, and whatnot. We built one of these for them. One of the levels that you had to complete, it gave you a series of coordinates and that's all it gave you. And you had to figure out the code to unlock the next level. And the coordinates fans figured out when you plug them into Google maps, they pulled up buildings that you could see on satellite view that kind of looked like numbers. And when you put all those numbers together, then you could figure out the code. So it was stuff like that, like just fun mind twister things, very difficult ARG to get through. And then at the end of it, once the fans kind of made it to that final level, we unlocked the next phase of the campaign, which was this page where you could submit videos of stuff that you were just up to during quarantine. And it would do two things. One, it spat a video back out at you where it showed either Tyler or Josh, two different videos. It showed them opening up a laptop and looking at the laptop screen and on the screen, your video would play. And it looked like they were watching your video. And then you got wow. to save that video to your phone. You got to put that on Instagram. You got to like have this memento of, and of course, everybody knows they weren't actually watching your video, but it looked very cool <laughs> and <laughs> it was a cool experience to kind of plug in like a video of your cat. And then you get to watch Josh or Tyler from <laughs> Pilots looking at a video of your cat. So that was fun in itself. But what it also did is it took your video and put it into, similarly, we took the level of concern video kind of edited it in a way that it had a bunch of those green screen moments in it and then had it play on a loop on a YouTube live stream. And then as people were submitting videos and getting their little memento videos back, those were also feeding through Jason Nichols tech into the live stream video on YouTube. So I could upload a video of my dog, get that keepsake video right back. And then a couple hours later, see myself on YouTube on their quote unquote, never ending video. It did end eventually, I will say it was kind <laughs> of a misnomer. I, I thought about that the whole time. I mean, it ran for like over six months. I believe I would have to look up the exact days, but yeah, it ran for a long time <laughs> and it could have easily been never ending, but it was a silly use of server costs at some point <laughs> to <laughs> actually have it go on like for the rest of our lives. It was probably unnecessary. I think if you just Google 
21 pilots, never ending video, level of concern. People wrote it up much better than I just explained it. But from the ARG all the way through the YouTube live that ran for so long, you know, really something that was designed to give the fan something to do and like have a bit of fun and kind of commemorate in a weird way, a weird time. I was just astounded by the tech that went into that was just cutting edge and cool, very much feels like the future. No one wants an autograph anymore. They want a photo, a photo with an artist or like why Cameo has blown up because you Mm. want something personal that you can be like, look, this was recorded for me. And obviously we're seeing it now with NFTs, people wanting some exclusivity feeling, kind of having like a piece of the artist with them. And that was a really cool way to do that with those videos. And I was very proud to be a small part of that project. Non-fungible token. It is something that has blown up in music conversations after Kings of Leon did an amazing campaign using them. Basically, it's just a digital file that is stored on a blockchain the same way that Bitcoin or or any other cryptocurrency is. The difference, I guess, is that you can't change it once it's acquired. You can end up sending it to somebody or it it can change hands, but like the file can't change. So in theory, like if I'm Lady Gaga and I'm doodling around on Photoshop and I save a PSD or a JPEG to my own personal computer, I could sell that as an NFT that only one person could have, like that file. Yeah, you're essentially paying for like a certificate of authenticity is the way I've described it. Buying like a baseball card, like a Mickey Mantle baseball card, right? It's as important to have the card as it is to have someone triple check that yes this is indeed a mickey mantle baseball card let me tell you it is a rabbit hole but it's so lovely to hear you talk about that campaign because you know as a fan myself not to mention some of my friends that played the game it was so heartwarming to feel like you had an activity and also not to mention i think one of the biggest aspects of our jobs is creating community and finding ways fans can congregate together and find ways to have a more human touch in the internet is the way I like to describe it. And I'm wondering if that resonates with you at all. Yeah, of course. It makes a lot of sense that the title for someone who runs another person's socials is community manager. A lot Mm. of the time it's not social media manager. It's because it is about community and the 21 pilots during the ARG, what we were witnessing, and this is not abnormal for them, of course, their fans are so connected and great but little groups breaking out on discord and we saw a lot of that just the twitter back and forth on the live stream that was happening at the time which was like giving away some codes for the early levels the chat that was happening on that live stream it was heartwarming it was the whole point to give them like you said something to do but also just a reason to talk to each other and like find community during a time where everyone was sitting at home a lot of times alone and and for younger people, like at their parents' house, you know, tough. And and that definitely resonates with me. I love like what YouTube had launched. I believe they launched it before COVID, but like YouTube premieres to watch a music video for the first time with a live chat running where the artists chats get highlighted. And you kind of know as a fan, like you nine times out of 10, unless someone's really running it for them. I mean, 
you really are like you're sitting there with the artist you're all in a little well could be a huge room depending on youtube sub count but you're really sitting there with a bunch of other fans and the artists themselves like watching this video and having a chat about it i mean that it's so cool and community is at, at the heart of why it's cool i love that for a young digital marker listening to this call or even like when when in music or not music i'm wondering if you have any advice for even, maybe even artists too, getting through the rest of this quarantine, getting through the rest of, you know, 2021, like what is some of your key advice to give to a young artist or a young digital marketer in the vein of the digital space and how to really navigate that? The best campaigns come from when you're really thinking about who it is that you're speaking to or are trying to reach versus oh, Kings of Leon just had a very successful NFT. So I need to have an NFT. Like if you're thinking about it or like level 21 pilots did this ARG for level of concern and, and it went really well. So I need to do an ARG. My advice would be instead of trying to mimic or chase what seems to be blowing up in the digital space or just like something that recently had a bunch of articles written about it that you're like, oh, I could do that. It's never about that and going about it from that way will never work. It has to be a real conscious thought process of who are the fans? What would they want right now? And can we do it in a more innovative way than normal just to make it a little more fun? Like yes or no. But you know, if the fan base is older and honestly like all they want is a Twitter chat, then maybe that is the best thing that you could do. It's really just about thinking about the audience instead of thinking of that you want to chase a headline. That's what matters at the, the end of the day. Back to the community question. It's just like, what would make this fan base feel good right now and engage them in a way that is meaningful to the artist's goal? If you think about everything like that, even if they've got 10 fans or 10 million, I feel like it would be very hard to fail if you're really thinking about who you're talking to. Oof, you just dropped some gems there. Oh, <laughs> like, no, I just like felt it in my chest and my soul. I'm gonna <laughs> take that on the road with me, lady. But you know, as I, I, I want to squeeze out all the wisdom I can from you at this time. If you could think of your career 10 years ago and 10 years from now, 10 years ago, what advice would you give to yourself? And then same question for 10 years in the future. Oh God, this is so hard. <laughs> I mean, I guess 10 years ago, I think it's very easy when you're very young or like just out of college and you start in a, in an industry like music, I'm sure it's similar for most forms of entertainment industry. It's kind of easy to get, I don't want to say a big head, but it's easy to feel like, you know, everything. And I definitely had my moments like earlier on where someone was trying to teach me something and I did not want to be taught. Cause I was like, yeah, I already, I know how to do this. I don't need to listen to you. And I think the advice I would have given to myself 10 years ago is to whether or not I agreed or thought their ideas were good, like to really try to soak in information and learn from anyone who was ever trying to teach me anything. 
to understand why that was important and that, yeah, like I was 24, I didn't know everything. <laughs> so that would have been my advice then. And I am glad that I, I did kind of grow up out of that and I'm able to still be doing this. I guess 10 years from now, the key that, that I would say even just before COVID that I felt I was scared that I might be losing is to just like stay a music fan. I think most of us that get into it are in because we always loved music in general. And I think before COVID, I feel like I was having a little bit of burnout on the lifestyle and just the expectation of being many, many shows per month, if not per week, and lots of very long days where you get to the office at 10 and then you have a dinner after, and then you have a show and you get home at midnight and then you're in the office the next morning. I was feeling a bit tired. And I think that a way to not feel that is to just not lose sight of being a fan of music and holding on to that and being able to take a step back and be like, yeah, I had a late night last night and I'm a little tired today, but what I get to do every day, it's awesome and it's worth it. And now more than ever, we can give ourselves the advice too of if you need to go home and go to sleep, you can go home and go to sleep. Mm. I think that's something else that would be advice that I didn't realize until this time. You can create a, a work-life balance. If you do have three, four shows you're expected to be at in a week, you can talk to your manager and say, I think I have to skip one of these because I just really need a night for my mental health. And that's fine. Also, it's a balance between the two. Recognizing why you're busy and what you're doing and that you actually love it and you got into it for a reason. And then also recognizing your feelings and paying attention to your health in that way and keeping that that balance I think as long as I and all of us can keep doing that I think we'll be set amen you know we are marketers through and through right so I'm gonna ask you the question what artists do you want to plug in <laughs> before the end of this podcast whether you work with them or whether just something you're listening to right now oh fun I love this there's a field by ramen artist named nothing nowhere. Yes. Um, and yeah, he's, I mean, he's not a new artist per se been around. He just released an album called trauma factory and he's got a song called fake friend. That's at alternative radio right now. And he, he was probably one of the most unlikely artists on the roster to, to lean in on something like TikTok, just because, you know, he's been, pretty private in the past. He never even used to show his face in press photos or music videos. And he's really grown as an artist and a person. And I love the album. It threw me back. The album got a pitchfork review. And I just remember I used to be so, especially when I worked at my internship of the summer in 2010 <laughs> at a very indie label, like being obsessed with pitchfork you know, and the review is very nice and, and positive about Joe and his TikTok account, which is just at nothing nowhere is so freaking funny. And not only is it funny because he's a funny guy, but it's also just a great example of how to remain an artist on there, but also have fun and like lean into like the silliness, but also talk about your music, but also, you know, show your personality, like all the things. 
I just am very proud of, of him this year. And I would highly recommend taking a listen to Trauma Factory. Lots of genres in there. Pop, rock, little hip hop vibes in there. Very classic Fueled by Ramen sound and artist. So yeah, big fan. A 10 out of 10 rack for sure, everyone. But Susie, thank you so, so, so much for doing this. It's just, like I said, so humbling to just chat with you and I've been a big fan of your work so just thank you for the time oh my god same to you thank you so much and everyone for listening to future women podcast subscribe like all the things Mm -hmm.